0: TV Break, the Pop Breaks monthly TV podcast. I am your host, TV editor Alex Marcus, and I am joined as always by the Pop Break editor in chief, Bill Bodkin. How are you doing today, Bill?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, I'm very excited that this is our first official TV break uh, that'll be going direct to uh, Spotify on our new Pop Break TV uh, stream. That Alex was, uh, you were the uh, captain of the ship to make this happen. So thank you so much for making this happen, man.
0: Yeah, thank you for giving me my own little fiefdom in the podcast land. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is the first uh, and last time fiefdom will be used in the world of pop break. <laughs> now I'm going to try and make that work in a review.
0: Something. Hey, don't underestimate me. Um, do. I, could squeeze, I could squeeze it in in the least expected of places. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of things that are unexpected, we are also joined by resident TV columnist Josh Cernacki. How are you doing today, Josh?
2: I'm fine is my presence unexpected I've been here for all of these
0: (laughs) are you sure this isn't our first time together I always forget
1: me too me too aren't I podcasting with you like this weekend coming up yeah (laughs) oh all right (laughs) check out that podcast coming up um yeah it does. Yeah, so, it does not feel like my usual uh, spiel of. It's been seven years since we podcasted. Uh, it doesn't feel that long ago, and I'm super stoked to. Uh, we got some great topics to talk about this week, man. Month. Yeah, we we have an action-packed show
0: filled to the brim. Uh, we're gonna start off by talking about the best thing we watched on TV this past month. Then we're gonna talk about some uh, TV news around the Emmys and awards season. And we're going to follow that up with our usual check in on the streaming wars to see who won the month in all of streaming. And in lieu of uh, our normal sh- new series spotlight, which we usually end our shows on or every episode on, uh, this actually is kind of like a slow time for new series to start up this kind of corner of the schedule that we're in right now so instead I decided to in honor of our uh nation's independence day and to be a little bit patriotic and uh, get the guys to watch uh the pilot to one of my favorite shows of all time the west wing so we're going to get into the pilot of the west wing which you guys can watch on netflix or HBO max so if you want to pause the podcast now watch that episode and come back later to listen to it That'd be great. Um,
1: I not know that was on HBO Max. Be yeah,
0: because it's a, it's a Warner... It, so the show originally aired on NBC, but it was produced by Warner uh, Television. So that's how HBO Max got it. Nice. But uh, yeah, so before we get into all of that, let's start off with Josh this week. What's the best thing you saw in TV this past month?
2: Well, as you mentioned, Alex, uh, July is pretty slow for TV, and... I'm already not the best about staying on top of new TV shows. So uh, last month, I know I just started uh, The Good Place. So I'm happy to say that I've made it through two seasons of that. Hey. Um, so it's been a pretty wild ride so far. Uh, but I took a break from that. Um, and so just looking at, you know, the news and what's timely, um, I decided that I would finally give Watchmen a shot. So yes. I've oh. uh, watched the first four episodes of Watchmen. Um, which after hearing about someone's rally in Tulsa, I figured it was a good time to uh, to pick up the series since I Mm -hmm. knew that was a major plot point in it. And so far I have, um, I don't want to say enjoyed because it's not necessarily an enjoyable show, um, but I have found myself very um, taken by Watchmen. It is definitely dark and not a, uh, a feel good show. Uh, but it's super well-written. Uh, the performances are amazing. And I remember when it was first announced, I was nervous because I was afraid they were just going to remake the graphic novel. It's like, okay, I've already seen this in the movie and it didn't really work out that well. Um, but having it be this uh, kind of spin-off or um, this extension of the, the original, I think is a amazing idea and I think it works really well so far so um four episodes in so still have a few to go but I have definitely enjoyed it so far and am very excited to see where it goes
0: yeah you were on the precipice of what is in my opinion one of like the best runs that any tv show has had in the last decade like the kind of like episodes like five six seven Mm -hmm. are just like totally just, like, blew me away. Just, like, boom, 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 boom. Like, where I was just, like... I was watching the beginning, a few episodes, and it took me a little while to acclimate to it, and I was like, I like what's happening, but I'm not 100% sure I get, like, what, like, the super hype is that some of the critics are, are right. giving off. And then I watched that middle chunk of episodes, and it was just, like... It just blew my mind. And you can actually read some of my reviews of those middle episodes on the site if anybody's interested. It's oh, just really... It's just really, really. If you're a fan of like narrative, um, like exploration and experimentation, it's just gonna give you stuff that like you just have not seen on TV before in a
1: really, really provocative way. Oh, I God. can't wait! You're, I'll you're, to you're check about, out those reviews. You ha- you're go- <laughs> you're going into episode five, and I'm getting chills remembering the beginning of episode five. Oh man. Yeah. That, it's, wow. Yeah. I'm There's excited. so much. Yeah, there's so much great stuff. Oh my God. Like, I don't even want to ruin it for you. I'm just like, the Watchmen, like, uh, Al Manorino, who I host the Socially Distanced podcast with, we have talked about this offline. Like, we were treated with a, an amazing, like, if you liked The Mandalorian, Watchmen and Mandalorian at the end of 2019 was like an amazing one two punch of series. And even if you didn't like The Mandalorian, just like, Watchmen to me is one of the best shows I definitely my favorite show of 2019 and yeah it's one of my favorite shows it, it's up there one of my favorite shows of the last 10 years for sure
0: yeah it really launches into like another stratosphere oh. in the second half of the series and it's and it's crazy because I went into the show very similar to you Josh where I was just like well I was a huge fan of the leftovers which was Damon Lindelof's uh, I wasn't. series yeah. just before right. that i right. loved that show i thought it was so interesting the way that they took so many interesting like narrative chances and like big swings into like surrealism and like super cool like very creative original material and then I, and then his follow-up was announced as the as Watchmen. i was like what no don't no damon oh come. same way uh-huh. I was like, don't go back to the well, because, like, he has this history of, like, Lost, and, like, the Alien movie, and, like, Tomorrowland, and, like, all this, like, so, Star like, like studio yeah Star Trek, like, studio sci-fi stuff, and it's just, like, it so often, like, did not do him justice, and I just, it just felt like a major step back for him, and then I watched it, and I was like, oh, never mind. He knew exactly what he
1: was doing, <laughs> and oh, God, it's amazing. I'm, oh, God, I'm looking at what episode six is, and, oh, my God, like, it's yeah. Josh, you're just in for... These are just, you're in for a treat, man.
3: Because like, I don't <laughs> want to talk about it because, like,
1: I, I will I will go into just, like, how much I love those episodes, man. It's just And I felt the way, same way you guys did because, like, I was lukewarm on the Watchmen film. Um, and then when I heard Damon Lindelof was doing this, I was like, ah, man, this is, this trailer's got to get me. If they, and that first trailer had me hooked. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go in very skeptical. And I was blown away with what they did with it. And, hey, man, anything that has got Don Johnson in it. I'm, I'm always game for it, so.
0: Also, it's a show that's about um, structural racism, police brutality, rising fascism, and po- the political controversy of mask wearing. So yeah. it's just, it's too bad that it can't be, like, more relevant to the current moment is all I'm saying. Yeah,
1: like, you know, it, could, it could definitely you know, be more relevant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and, and the education it gave so many of us about the Tulsa massacre that I probably, not many of us, Knew even happened is it, that alone makes it an important show, yeah. Because it educated so many of us. Because I remember watching I'm like, wow, that's a really crazy, that's a really crazy story they came up with. And then I was like, I wonder if it's real. And then I looked it up, and I was like, oh my god, like, yeah, it is. And like, yeah. it was the fact it took that risk and and it, it put that in there, and it is a major catalyst of the the show. It's insane.
0: And it was actually, if you know about the development of this of the series, it was a big reason why he wanted to make the show in the first place, actually. Like, David yeah, they have a read, like he read about this in um, like in the news, like they did like this big feature a few years ago, which I forgot what outlet did it. But that's actually how I learned about it for the first time as well. Um, and they, and he was like, I need to create art about this because this is just like, I can't believe that I never heard of this and I need to use my platform to make sure everyone hears about this. And that was kind of like, and then when they like approached, when HBO approached him after left, was like, what do you, we have all this IP, like, we really want you to do something with us, like, he kind of put that together with Watchmen in a way and then just like ran with it from there and, and really did an amazing job of centering um, like African-American voices in his writer's room in a way that is was pretty revolutionary for the way that that writer's room was set up like they're like he purposefully constructed it in a way where he really was not despite being the creator and like the showrunner he really foregrounded voices of people who were not like him and let them lead those discussions and end up leading that creative in a lot of ways in a way that If you go, if you listen to some of the interviews that he did, it's very interesting. He talks about how like he initially set it up where he thought like, okay, you're going to bring all this stuff to me, but then I'm going to guide it because I'm the guy with the TV experience and I know what I'm doing. And it ended up in that creative process that he really took a step back and let them guide it because he realized how important it was for them to be the ones to guide this story. Uh, And I think it pays off in an incredible way because it's just it's everything that you like in a Damon Lindelof. Uh, show but with so much more depth and so much more uh, like, like real real insight and, and commentary about the world that we're living in in a way that like science fiction only can you know
1: Yeah. and, and, and Regina King she, yeah well we might she... we might
0: get into that a little bit later in the episode so I want to move on from this yeah, topic for great. now uh, and ask Bill what you watched that was the best thing on TV this past
1: month well, I have two quick ones for you guys, because um, I don't want to belabor the points. Uh, I am reviewing on the weekly uh, the new HBO. Since we're talking about HBO, uh, talk- the new HBO series Perry Mason. Um, I do it on a weekly. This one was a little delayed given circumstances, um, but I am really enjoying this show. Uh, it stars Matt. It's uh, it's definitely a, a departure. If you know anything about Perry Mason, throw it out the window. Because <laughs> it's it's basically a name, um, and the first two episodes, the first one really sets you up as this is a true detective meets Boardwalk Empire type of uh, aesthetic. Makes sense. Uh, Timothy Van Patten, who um, was a showrunner, director, executive on Boardwalk Empire, is you know running this show and directed the first um, episode. Um, and the first episode is a lot of sizzle, and it's a lot of. You know, kind of that we're going to shock you out of everything you know about Perry Mason, you know, the Raymond Burr character, the, you know, the very, you know, by the, you know, do things for the right way, for the right reason type attorney and kind of make him a scarred um, kind of scuzzy at times private detective. But to me, the epi- the series really uh, kicks in the high gear in the second episode where we're introduced to this amazing supporting cast they have, including Tatiana Maslany. From Orphan Black, and she's paired with Lily Taylor, who is done so many amazing things. And the most popular thing you want to say she's done, one of the most popular is that the first Conjuring movie, um, 16 under. Up, Six. Oh, you know what? I didn't really watch a ton of Six Feet Under, so I probably wouldn't have referenced that, although I did see the f- final episode, um, which is a great final episode. Uh, in which she is not in the final episode because she didn't make it that long. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, um, you know, Stephen Root, who's a HBO, who's always around HBO, uh, is in it, too. And this is just a really intriguing story. Uh, I'm very hooked into it. Uh, it's a good midsummer mystery. I'll say it like that. It, it definitely will have you compelled, especially by the second episode. Um, so, yeah. Perry Mason, if you like a good mystery, that's a great one. And if you're a true crime fan, HBO also has I'll Be Gone in the Dark. It is based off the book started by Michelle McNamara, uh, who is a true crime writer. She was married to Patton Oswalt, the comedian and actor. And it is about the Golden State Killer. And the documentary series is really interesting because it's at one part about the author and her life and how she became like obsessed and dedicated her life to finding the identity of the golden state killer who was now currently has been found and is on trial as well as the mystery of the golden state killer. And it's a lot about um, a community of people who were uh, coming together to solve crimes over the internet. And it's also like a character study about the author. So it's a very cool like piece. Um, yeah, Patton Oswalt's involved a lot in the series. He's an executive producer. He's in the first episode a lot. Um, yeah, if you're a good, if you like true crime, that's a really good, uh, it's a really good and very well done series. And it's a good one-two punch on a Sunday night if you're really into crime. So Perry Mason, I'll be gone in the dark. So those are my two picks for the month.
0: Yeah, I've I haven't been watching that documentary, but I'm I'm always interested in it because I I remember hearing about it as a fan of Patton Oswalt. I
3: remember Same.
0: hearing about it in bits and pieces, like around his wife's passing and then the developments that occurred afterwards. Um, it seems like a very interesting story. I I was a little disappointed that it wasn't just a like a two hour documentary and then it's like an actual uh, documentary series. Is it does it justify its
1: length? Yeah, because they really go into how she the first episode really goes into how because Mich- they're telling two stories. They're telling the story of the eventual finding of the Golden State Killer, as uh, but in the first episode it really t- is really about her and her her getting into true crime like reporting and uh, being someone who solves some cases and then go moving on to this. It talks, it's a lot about her. And, and then they're, you know, foregrounding like some of the, the, the case itself. It's like, okay, in the seventies, this happened and this happened and this happened. And then because the story is also that her work was then carried on by other people. Mm-hmm. So it would be a, it would be a lot to put into two hours Because I feel like there's so much that happened. There was so much evidence that came into play that you need to break it up over multiple episodes, especially since you're telling two stories. Okay,
0: because I was because sometimes with true crime documentary series, you get the sense of like they just kind of like slow walk the revelations and the information to like pad out an episode.
1: And then at the end, they just try to hook you with the next one. That's not the vibe of this one. No, because like they really are like like I said, the first episode is really about okay, we're setting the table of how we got to her investigating this. Okay. Because like all of a sudden it's and then the next episode is her beginning of the 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 investigation and she pieced a lot of it together through you know help from other people. So you're getting perspective of the other people who found stuff and uh, because this case went unsolved for decades. So there, you know, you're talking to police, you're talking to some victims who are still alive. And then once she passes, I'm sure that's going to be a a number of uh, an episode dedicated to her life. And then other people carried it on and then the eventual arrest of that person. Uh, So there's a lot that happened with this one case. I've seen a few HBO uh, crime documentaries where it's just like, okay, I get it. You're really just trying to stretch it out for another episode. but this one is like, uh, I think a, a series that is just chock full of information and uh, not like um, superfluous information to like necessary stuff.
0: Cool, that's good to know. How many more? How how many episodes of that have aired as of this week?
1: I want to say coming up it'll be three. Okay. Um, so yeah, so it's not that far into it, and the episodes do they do move at a pace. Uh, it's a it's a six episode series so right now so you're at the halfway point we're at the halfway point yeah they move quick this is not a this is not a plotting crime documentary so this this does move quick
2: cool. yeah, I've, I've heard, heard a lot wrong. about it i I keep hearing it on different podcasts being advertised so um
1: yeah so because like, like she because she was a huge like she was a huge inspiration to a lot of like, uh, pod, like crime podcasts. Like, in the beginning, like, uh, Karen Kilgariff, who my wife listens to her podcast, it's called My Favorite Murder, where they talk about murders. Um, like, they like she inspired a lot of people, like, she broke a lot of ground in that world. So, that's why it's also very, like I said, it's telling the story of her as well as this investigation. So, mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Well, everybody should check that out. That sounds really interesting. And I've I've watched uh the last three episodes, the first three episodes, I should say, of Perry Mason, and I've been enjoying it as well. I think it's it's so interesting that like the it, I don't know, Bill, if you're aware of this, but this project was actually developed Rob, initially yes. to be a Robert Downey Jr. film, Uh-oh. and the thought was yes. that it might be even a film series for him, uh, that he could jump into like post Avengers, and it was just this huge passion project for him that went in it was in production for like or in pre-production oh, well, for literally like uh, like almost a decade like this was his like passion project and finally he had to just give it up because he realized that he just would not be able to fit it into his schedule especially once it was clear they weren't making it into a movie it was going to be a tv show it just became something that he just couldn't fit in so he's actually the executive producer of it with his wife but um
1: but yeah i I I don't know if I would have liked it as much. It would have been I, a different show, but I really, I, I love what Matthew Reese does with it. I so especially I think love when it. You,
0: I think when you watch the first episode, and if you have that in mind, you can see the moments yes. that could have been our DJ moments. And and what's interesting about Reese is that he's just bringing such a different energy to those same moments. Absolutely. And I think that the show over time really evolves to fit him better and it's just i think i love matthew reese he's incredible in the americans i think he's an excellent actor he's at like post americans he kind of popped up in a lot of like very small roles in movies for a while and he just always is great he was in the he was the lead character in the the um mr rogers movie. the mr rogers movie last year which just totally made me cry hysterically in the theater <laughs> just, just like overcome with emotion so yeah i just i love him i'll see him in anything and he's definitely helping me get through it uh it's got ups and downs in my opinion oh, but
3: absolutely.
0: the cast is the cast is so stacked and so strong and like tatiana maslany oh. i should be I should be not at all surprised by this, but she is just the most transfixing thing on this show. Like I can I cannot get a handle on what that character is, but in the most positive way, I could say that. Um, it's and just, she's love, just so,
1: so great to watch. I love that they've put her with Lily Taylor. I think that's yeah. such an interesting dynamic. Um, they and I love I think, each other really well. I think the part that got me with Reese that really sold me on him in the role was the flashback like the world war one fa- flashback. Cause he is, uh-huh. I'm not spoiling anything. He's a, a world one, world war one veteran. That part, like if I think of Robert Downey jr. In that, like, ah, I don't know. Like, like I know he could do it, but it would be a totally different vibe. And I like the vibe that we got from Matthew Reese more than what probably Robert Downey jr. Would have done with the role. Um, yeah, I just really like it. I think the one character, I, like I said, I'm only two episodes through. I'm still a little I'm behind one episode. So I want to see the Della Street character fleshed out a little bit more. Um, and I really love the addition of, I want to say his name is Chris Chalk. Yes, um, yeah. that's He, yes. he's he's, fan. Yeah. he was in uh, When They See Us. He's such a great actor. He played Lucius Fox on uh, Gotham. Um, and he plays a character that is in the Perry Mason canon. So I'm looking forward to seeing what his role with Perry is wow. going to be. And You're I, in
0: for it because the episode three features both of those characters uh, very, in a, very in very much more prominent it. roles. So
1: very very yeah. very happy about that because those are two very meaty roles that, ha- as far as the first two episodes, hasn't been fully fleshed out. Even though Chris Chalk's character has only been in one episode so far
0: yeah I, th- I think for me the it's like I'm kind of split down the middle with the show because I feel like it feels like it drags a bit in places but it sure. also has a really great atmosphere and I think that you kind of need the slower parts in order to cultivate that atmosphere so I kind of i'm I'm like tentatively on like a plus side i the, the cast is enough to make me keep watching though and it's a as we said it's kind of a quiet time for TV so yeah. there's not a lot else out there that's better than this so i'm definitely i definitely would recommend if you guys are watching it to check it out
1: well, Alex, um, but for me the, to put the light on you what's your favorite yeah,
0: that you favorite i'm gonna just let's just make it an hbo show today because it's uh oh, yeah. i may destroy you which is a new series oh, on I HBO. I, I <laughs> thought you were <laughs> saying, like, I'm going
1: to destroy you with my pick, Bill. And I'm like, all, no. all right. I don't know how Ground Bear can, Unless you started watching wrestling, I don't think that you were going to really break me and destroy <laughs> me.
0: Here. No, I'm going to deliver a 10-minute Aaron Sorkin monologue that'll just make you weep, and then I'll destroy you. Uh, no. It. <laughs> uh, um, it'll, it'll feature me reciting my resume in great detail. Um, no, but anyway... <laughs> Uh, That's a joke for all the heads out there. Um, So this this series that we're going to talk about is I May Destroy You, which is a series on HBO. Um, It's an HBO co-production with uh, BBC One. um, And it's written, uh, co-directed, and starring uh, Michaela Cole, who a lot of people might know from her Netflix series that went two seasons called Chewing Gum. Uh, She also was featured in uh, a very high-profile Black Mirror episode, um which was kind of like a Star Trek kind of uh play um where she was one of the crew members on a uh, a digital kind of Star Trek um that existed inside of a virtual reality but the people were uh actually real because the artificial intelligence was so advanced um really cool episode just check that out um I forgot which season it was on but you'll be able to see it just from like the art uh but anyway so she created the show Uh, It's based on her own life um, and her own struggles with uh, sexual assault that she experienced during um, an incident when her her drink was spiked uh, and she was date raped. Uh, That sounds really awful, and it certainly is awful in the series. Uh, But what's really interesting about this show is that it is not the bleak kind of um, uh, oppressive, depressing take that you might expect from a story about sexual assault and sexual violence. Uh, She has, and Michaela Cole, I'm speaking of, has an incredible uh, ability to create character and to craft dialogue that just feels so uh, idiosyncratic. She really creates a world, it's set in London, and she just creates a world to play in that just feels so lived in and so bold and so fresh in a way that you just haven't seen before. And she tackles these really serious subjects in ways that feel very grounded in how they exist in people's actual lives, uh, which is just really, it's just, you didn't realize that you were missing it until you saw it. Like, it just, I've seen a lot of uh, stories about, about this subject matter in the past. I feel like more and more we're seeing more and more of it, and that's great. But I just really haven't seen anything that captures the reality of it in both the really upsetting traumatic ways and also the ways in which people, after they've been uh, assaulted, after they've had these traumatic experiences, still have to live their lives and they have to try to connect those two pieces into a coherent person again. uh, And that that could be very confusing and complicated because in your mind, you're both the person you were before this happened. And yet also your experience is fundamentally different. And that experience, that shift can happen so suddenly and without any warning or context. And it really is a matter of seconds sometimes that a world can just change in that way. And your brain has to catch up to that. And it's just really, it's really, really impressive the way that she captures that sensation and that reality and does so with a real detail to the diversity that uh, sexual assaults can present in society and ultimately like the casualness of it in ways that is very upsetting to think that like we talk about and I think this has finally started to change in the Me Too era but for a long time it was like this is a thing that's terrible that happens to very few people and it's and what we've learned is that and what many people always knew is that, no, it's actually a terrible thing that happens in a very kind of commonplace way often. And a lot of people have been experiencing these things in ways that you really don't know, because we're all conditioned to kind of keep it quiet and keep it to ourselves. And so they kind of tackle that as well. They talk about it from the perspective of of Michaela Cole's character, who is this um, uh, Black, British uh, writer, um, creative person, uh, straight, cisgender woman who is a woman of color, talk about her experience. They talk about the experience as it relates to the queer community and to um, she has like a gay best friend uh, who is uh, kind of going through similar situations as well and the ways in which that difference is presented and and the ways in which the police response is so complicated and so dependent on like a specific interaction with a specific police officer that may go well or may go poorly uh and the way that they capture that is really interesting uh and it also is just very present in this current moment like technology is very informed in her daily life in the way that it is for most people in their late 20s early 30s and the show captures that in a way that feels very observational and never uh, never judgmental or contrived, which is really, really hard to do in my experience of watching shows like this. And so it's just, she's just operating on such a higher level than anything else that I've seen in a long time. And I'm just incredibly floored. There's been five episodes have aired so far. And uh, by the time you're listening to this, the sixth episode will have aired. Um, there's 12 episodes total. So we're only halfway through the season at this point. But it's really the odds-on favorite for the best series of the year that I've watched, honestly, given all of the things that they're tackling in this way. And there's also like, despite it being very heavy and complicated and nuanced, it's also like her character is like a very uh, light and fun character a lot of the times. And so it balances that in its tone in a really complicated way as well. So I just couldn't recommend this stronger to anybody. And I really think uh, it's, it's something that people should seek out. Obviously, people who have had uh, experiences similar to Michaela Cole's may feel triggered in certain ways, and I think that you should be uh, mindful of that going in, but it really is a story that people should watch and that it deserves the profile. I'm so glad that it's airing on a network like HBO that really has this reputation for quality because I think a lot more people are going to it than if it had ended up on like a Netflix or or somewhere else where it's just like another thing on the pile. Um, but it's just really tremendous and I really recommend everyone checking it out.
1: Wasn't this, uh, renewed already?
0: Um, I didn't see that. I didn't, I don't, I didn't, I don't know if it's intended to have more than one season. So I, am uh, not sure about that.
1: I thought I saw somewhere is like, it was like renewed or maybe she's getting, <laughs> she's getting way more attention and way more stuff coming her way.
0: Yeah, I can't I can't say for sure. It may have been renewed for a second season. I didn't see that, but it it may have been.
1: Wow, I didn't. Well, you were I I just was looking that up to see if she was Uh, she turned down one million dollar offer from Netflix for ownership of the series. That's cool. Yeah, there's actually
0: there's a great Vulture interview with her where she talks about that whole experience because this subject was extremely personal to her and just because she like is a creative person who wanted to stand up for herself and she it was very important that she have some level of ownership in the actual series um and that she would and that that would afford her a level of creative control as well that was important and in her negotiations with Netflix which you can see in the Vulture article about this uh they just completely steamrolled her and said sorry we don't do that and we will not uh grant you any ownership and uh to the point there's actually like this part in the interview where she says that she was on the phone with this one woman from Netflix and saying like, look, I'll take, uh, I'll take 5%. Okay, I'll go down to 2%. And the woman was like, well, you know, I have to go up the flagpole to see if they'll take that. But I don't think so, because that's not the way we do things here. And then she said that she says, like, but Uh, between you and me it's really I'm really proud of you for standing up for yourself because you're doing the right thing and she said that that was just like such an incredible thing level of feedback to get from someone in that position because she had felt like she was just crazy asking for this thing that they were making her feel like she didn't deserve and then it's just the reality is the exact opposite uh and that they're just being nakedly capitalistic in a way that kind of really sucks. Because if you don't know, she had a pre-existing relationship with Netflix. Like, she was, again, she made the series Chewing Gum on this, uh, which ran for two seasons on Netflix. And she also was featured in two Black Mirror episodes Mm -hmm. and a miniseries, Black Earth Rising, I believe it was called. Um, so So she was like a Netflix person, and they still were pretty disrespectful to her in that regards, just wanting her to take the money up front and just give away all control and ownership of her show. And when you watch this show, you understand why uh, that would have been a mistake and would have probably felt violating for her. So I'm really glad that they were able to work something out with HBO and BBC One, where she ended up getting uh, full ownership of the show and full creative control. And I think that it really, really worked out to her favor in the long run. Absolutely, man.
2: Sounds like Netflix is the big villain in this story. It is a little bit, yeah. (laughs) I know who did not win the month for me now. (laughs) Uh,
1: What? The fact they released Warrior Nun was not going to, the series did not make, think they won the the month for you? I
2: thought that was a Onion article when I heard it at first. This can't be a real thing.
0: Um, well let's get it. let's get into that now. Uh, what so every month we talk about uh, the streaming wars as we like to call it. Uh, and this month, I think I, I kind of feel like it's unambiguous who won the month this month, but I'm gonna throw it to you, Josh. who do you think had the best month in streaming which service?
2: well i I really, really wanted to be um, the Outlier and try to do something different and and you know not conform because I have a feeling I know what everyone's going to say, um, but I I, literally, I yes Quibi for sure and Peacock Quibi and Peacock stole the show. Um, now I I literally could not justify picking anything else other than Disney Plus. I mean, I think everyone and their grandmother has watched Hamilton in the last week or so, so that alone is probably enough, but. Also, the the new Muppet Show I think is another uh, big pull coming later this month. So uh, you you can't compete with Hamilton. I, yeah,
0: <laughs> it, it has to Disney Plus. Yeah, I think this is gonna be a pretty short segment this month. Uh, Bill, what do you think? Did, did, yeah, uh,
1: slam did... dunk for Disney pl- Plus. I mean, uh, we talked about the sound of the socially distance that uh, airs uh, that's coming out right before this uh, airs is. Um, there was like a 72% increase in down, Disney plus downloads for the app. That's like over, over a quarter million people uh, <laughs> just, just for Hamilton. Um, and then, yeah, I forgot about the Muppets and oh yeah, at the end of the month, Beyonce has blackest King coming out. So if you thought yeah. you thought Hamilton was going to bring in a lot of people, Beyonce is going to bring in a ludicrous amount of subscriptions for that. Um, but yeah, that's my first time seeing Hamilton ever. Um, and I absolutely loved it, and I will definitely watch it again. And, yeah, Disney Plus uh, ran away with July.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I have to say that I 100% agree with you guys, but I don't know if it's really Hamilton. I, did you guys notice that uh, the Jets Fantastic Four uh, dropped on Disney Plus this month?
3: <laughs> so oh, gosh.
0: I, For me, that was kind of like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, definitely Disney's going to win the month. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. <laughs> God bless you. So much <laughs> no, obviously, obviously, it's all about Hamilton all the time. I literally don't know a single person who has Disney Plus who did not watch Hamilton over the July Fourth holiday weekend. Like, I, I it just was just completely blanketed everyone's, uh, everyone's TV or computer or iPad or phone or whatever you watched it on. Like, just like across the whole nation, we all came together to to watch this thing that so many of us had heard about for so long and maybe we listened to the soundtrack but we never had the opportunity to really see it um and especially see it with the original cast too which is just such a treat and just it's kind of historic in a way and i mean there's a lot of litigations about uh the 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 cons of hamilton and like the the ways in which it maybe doesn't entirely deserve its like 100 approval rating from the entire country and like i think that's totally fair sure. not every like the, like no piece of art can be all things to all people and no piece of art is flawless but in the moment watching that 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 play for the first time, and I had not listened to the soundtrack ahead of time, because I really wanted to preserve as much of the experience as I could for whenever I got to see it as a play, even if it was like a local high school production of it. Same here. Same here. <laughs> and so I watched it and it just totally blew me away. And I was just and it's just rare that things that are that hyped live up to that hype and it just like it's it's a it's an incredible experience and I'm just so grateful uh that we all got to share it together in this month that has been kind of awful in our country overall like lots of real bad news um and the the summer month has been kind of rough for everybody and this was just like this one moment where we all kind of came together just to watch like incredibly talented people do something that only incredibly talented people could do, like at the top of their game, and it's just it was really special. So, so yeah, even if it even if we had to sell our soul to corporate America so we could watch it, um, I think
1: it was worth it, you guys. Disney Plus rules July. Has has that been the streamer that's won the most months for us? It has to I, be.
0: You kn- I, I was going to I was going to go back and actually like keep a tally of it. Um, it's funny that you asked me that. Uh, I, I think Disney Plus has been has had a couple of months. Um, Netflix had a couple of months. I think we're honestly pretty even, um, in terms of the streamers for the first six months of the year.
1: Yeah, because I think like uh, Disney Plus at least had two. Yeah, dis
0: yeah. well Disney Plus came out early and and won the first couple of months uh because things were kind of slow and then and then netflix had a month and hulu had a month and you know netflix again and then hbo max kind of happened and yeah and now yeah. it's fading so i think maybe maybe disney plus has it but like by a hair so it'll be interesting to see how how it all adds up at the end of the year
1: i'm um, enjoying well, hbo max though as a streamer though like yeah i i i think it's it's got a lot of good content And it's very easy to navigate. So yeah, I mean, like, don't like, I know we we said Disney won the month, but hey, man, like, yeah, uh, uh, we've seen a lot of streamers this year just kind of, you know, wet the bed, Quibi, and um, (laughs) you know, HBO Max, it's done pretty well for itself. Yeah, well, and all the hate that we're.
0: Throwing on Quibi with good reason. Uh, it's also notable that Apple TV Plus has not won any month in the last six months. So we're and this is our seventh month of doing this, and uh, and no Apple TV Plus has ever been mentioned. So I kind of and, feel like that. And, and they do have
1: that Tom Hanks movie, which I don't yeah. know where I'm talking about really.
0: As well, I've heard people talking about how bad it is,
1: um, oh. but yeah. <laughs> oh man, really?
0: Yeah. Oh, Tom uh,
1: Uncle Tom. I mean.
0: It, it, this, that movie sat on a shelf for a while before it ended up on Apple. So, Oh, I didn't know that.
1: I was not aware of that. Yep. I literally forgot uh, Apple TV was a thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you're alone in that, actually.
1: (laughs) I like that one, like, the only thing I've seen on Apple TV, like, I like the Beastie Boys doc that they, they produced there, or they aired there, I should say. And I liked, they had an Earth Day, um, like, cartoon, short, and it was like, uh, Chris O'Dowd was one of the characters, I thought it was really cute. Otherwise, and uh, we we gave a I think we gave a fairly good review to Central Park, but otherwise, yeah, fairly forgettable.
0: Yeah, so yeah, we gave a good review to Central Park, which then immediately got embroiled in controversy um, <laughs> awesome. for some good reason. Yeah, well, because you know, who, why you would cast Kristen Bell to play a a, a black Uh, character on your cartoon in 2020 is kind of beyond me, but that happened, Uh, so, but not anymore, she's off the show, so (laughs) no worries, you guys, I guess, Uh, but yeah, so that's, uh, I have to say, I am, like, one of the people who thought that the insanity of the morning show was delightful, but um, aside from that, I haven't seen anything on that platform that's been all that good, I watched every episode of of, uh, Defending, no, Defending Jacob, and boy, I have two things to say about that show. Uh, Chris Evans looks great in a sweater, and that show was super
1: bad. (laughs) (laughs) Was it Chris Evans with a beard in a sweater? Yes, he had a beard the whole time because he was like a sad
0: dad. So, you know, he had to have a beard, of course.
1: Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, I know that feeling. It was...
0: It was actually kind of funny because, like, on that show, quick sidebar about a show that no one has watched, um, <laughs> he's, like, just, he's playing, like, a like an assistant district d- attorney in, like, a suburb of Boston, and he's just supposed to be this, like, every guy kind of person, but he still has his Captain America body, so they, they like, purposefully put him in all these clothes that, like, slightly de-emphasize how insanely jacked he is, and it just is really funny to just be like... <laughs> Yeah, no, he's still Chris Evans, you guys. You can't fool me into thinking, like, oh, he's just, like, a suburban dad, you know? It's like, no. he's. Yeah, he's please, no one looks dear, like
1: this. Dear dear television, please stop yeah. trying to convince that Chris Evans looks like me. Exactly. It's, it's not. It, he doesn't have a dad bod. He is, no, he he really is chiseled out of granite. <laughs> we already know he's Adonis. Yeah. yeah. It's
0: just, it reminded me of, like, how, like, in the 90s, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger would just star in movies where he just played like a like a, a midwestern a sheriff and, and and you're just like oh like he's just like this bizarre australian man who looks like no one and he just like happens to live in this small town in the middle of america without any exclamation just like no it's like what are we doing <laughs> come on that was my... just like uh, you can't break the reality of the show like the second that it starts <laughs>
1: that was jingle all the way
0: for me it's like what? why why why
1: no, that Jingle All the Way was a why for me throughout the entire run of that movie. Oh. Also accurate. Oh,
0: Good episode of How Did This Get Made, if you guys are looking for a podcast to, to check out. Um, I'll take your word but for any- that one. <laughs> <laughs> I but think anyway.
2: why did it get made.
0: <laughs> I mean, oftentimes they ask that question as well. Uh, but now we're going to move on from our streaming wars segment and into our news break segment where we talk about one news story uh, or topic that's going on in the world of television this month. This month we're going to talk about an IndieWire piece written by Libby Hill on July 2nd called The the 2020 Emmy Awards Race Breeds Excitement from Uncertainty. Uh, The gist of this article is basically that because of the COVID epidemic and the closing down of public events in Los Angeles, uh, it's really kind of a very unpredictable Emmy season. Uh, There is this thing in Hollywood called FYC season. uh, That's your, for your consideration. And, uh, and, and they do this for the Emmys and for the Globes and for the Oscars, and I'm sure they do this in, in for music and the Tonys and stuff too, but I don't see that as much because I'm not as dialed into those scenes. But basically, it's all of these studios go out and they campaign for their shows to get noticed. And in TV, over the last, like, four or five years, this space has gotten almost as competitive as the Oscar campaigning season has, um, in part because some outlets like Netflix are willing to spend... Like tens of millions of dollars on campaigns, uh, which really ups the ante, and in part because there's just so much more high-quality television than there used to be. So it's really hard to get your show noticed by awards voters, um, especially for something like the Emmys, where like the Emmys, the people who vote for the Emmys are all people in the TV industry who are making TV. Uh, and the thing that you might know if you've ever listened to any an interview from anybody who ever worked on television, the first thing they'll tell you is, uh, yeah, I'm just like so busy making television shows that I just don't watch really any TV. And it's just like, cool. So how are you supposed to vote on like which of the 800 new series was worth it? Um, <laughs> and the answer is uh, studios spending millions and millions of dollars crafting these Uh, engagement events so that way you could check out the stars and watch episodes and see what's so cool about these shows Um, and at these events as the article kind of goes into a little bit uh, you also have a lot of reporters who are kind of like taking a temperature reading of the room and seeing like what shows are popping and what shows people are talking about and that gets um, these people like a long way to understand like what the real competitors in the races are and this season, we don't really have that because all of the stuff is kind of digital. They've been doing a lot of um, over the like Zoom events and stuff like that. And there's a lot of like if you ever see like the actors interviewing actors on YouTube, like those videos, like all of that stuff is is really integrated into this kind of campaign season. Uh, but it makes it harder to know who's kind of up and who's down with the Emmys. So I think that's kind of an interesting wrinkle to this whole thing that we haven't really been um, talking about. Uh, and I should say the Emmy, uh, uh, voting period began at the beginning of the month and the, nom- the nominations will be announced on July 28th. So we're, we're headed towards that end goal right now and there's still a lot of uncertainty. So, um, uh, Josh, starting with you, like, what do you think about this article and like the types of stuff that they're talking about in there?
2: I guess it was something that kind of took me by surprise because I honestly know very little about the emmys and the, the process that goes into them and i knew it was a lot of campaigning and a lot of behind the scenes work uh but i when i thought of how the pandemic would affect it i thought more of the production side of things i didn't think about like the uh, you know the schmoozing and, and you know throwing out um money then you know getting your name out there and getting your uh your uh show out there and getting talk about it and getting buzz so it it surprised me in that sense um I, the only thing is i just have a hard time caring cuz i am not an awards person i am like <laughs> down with the award season so i'm not the best person to ask about that
0: no that's okay and i mean we should stipulate that of course and a conversation about the impacts of COVID 19 on our daily life, uh, the impact of awards prognosticators being able to tell uh, who's winning in the Emmy nomination race is like really, really far down the list of things to worry about. <laughs> so yeah. priority course, wise, we'd... pretty low. Yes, so that is that that goes without saying, but I thought it was important for us to say nonetheless. Uh, but that being said. It is kind of an interesting wrinkle because it was just, it struck me as something that like you just, like Josh, you said, it's just something that you don't really think about. And, but it actually, there is this whole industry around, around awards, painting and covering it and trying to put up who's going to get nominated and who will win. and, And to think about how that kind of happens in a world where all interactions are digital and where honestly this is not the top priority on people's minds right now, including the people who are voting for these awards in a way that maybe it might be if your whole social calendar for the month is swept up with Emmy consideration events, suddenly your head is in Emmy world and that becomes a higher priority for you. I'm sure that is much less true this year compared to years past. And like what impact that has on who wins and who loses is, is also interesting to consider. What do you think, Bill?
1: I was thinking maybe a little bit of the opposite. Uh, like you said, like, listen, award shows are, you know, have always been, you know, they're for people like Alex, like you and me. We're, I'm very much into Emmys and Oscars. I love listening to podcasts, you know, for Oscars that Matt and Marissa do. And I, you know, I, I'm really into that kind of stuff. It's fun. But I'm wondering with the lack of FYC events and the fact that productions have all halted, like, maybe people are watching more maybe people were giving the opportunity to have the chance to giving the, themselves the opportunity to watch shows that maybe they had only heard about or shows that are, are are becoming popular. So maybe this changes the way things are voted upon. So I think that could be an interesting wrinkle. Um, I mean, most of the time I'm wrong, but like, you know, it could be, <laughs> um, you know, because like I could say like, you know, when I'm home now, I mean, a little different story, but like, you know, if something's really hot right now, it's just like, OK, well, what else am I doing besides, you know, working full time, running a site and being a parent and switch, <laughs> and switch the order of importance of that? Um, but it's like, you know. We people might have more opportunity to watch, and I think it's a very like I said, it's a very interesting wrinkle. And um, yeah, I like the fact it's it's we're not going to have the predictable like yeah, Game of Thrones. And this is someone who liked Game of Thrones. Josh was on a couple podcasts about Game of Thrones with me. He's like, all right, Game of Thrones is going to win this year. Okay, this is a layup. This is a layup. And also, I thought the calendar for the Emmys was always kind of weird. Matt Taylor and I talked about this on a few podcasts. Like Sharp Objects, for example, is a series mm-hmm. he and I, we both love that series. We're both like Patricia Clarkson is like a slam dunk for an Emmy. But it, it came out too late for... The year it came out, Emmys, and it became out too early for the next year's Emmys. So it kind of got forgotten yeah. in the wash. So yeah, maybe, that, for, maybe that changes something. For people who don't
0: know. It. For people who don't know, the eligibility window for the Emmys is different from the Oscars and for a lot of of award shows because they're operating, the Emmys eligibility window is still operating on the kind of old school network TV schedule where you start a season in the fall and you run till the spring and then you have the summer off. And obviously the TV landscape isn't set up that way anymore, but that is still the eligibility window. And so what ends up suffering the most are shows that, Premiere in the summer because uh, after it's like the the end of May your your eligibility window is out is closed right so like by like mid May if your show is not aired most of its episodes you get pushed into the following year but the awards like the Emmy awards actually don't air until that like the nominations are announced in July the very end of July the awards this year are the last week of September so the shows that are kind of in between when the eligibility window ends and when the Emmys are often get majorly overlooked, like Sharp Objects. And it's really it's it's always been kind of a, a hard thing and it's gotten harder and harder as as TV networks really program twelve months out of the year in a way that they never used to. So I, I hope that in time they really reevaluate yeah, they the calendar because if you just look at the things that get nominated, so few network shows even get nominated for anything anymore. So why are we dictating the eligibility windows based on their schedule? And yeah, it, a lot of yeah. and a lot of those shows don't even air in that format anyway. Like their networks program 12 months out of the year too. And a lot of network shows run for like eight to ten episodes in the fall or in the spring. They don't run through the whole season. So it's just kind of an
1: antiquated
0: system at this point.
1: Yes, um, that yeah that then sharp objects was always one I, I point to with that. But yeah, I'm just wondering if you know the home, uh, you know people being at home gets more opportunities to watch stuff that maybe came out late uh, or early. And um, I like the unpredictability. I still think there there are some very predictable winners coming our way. Succession being one of them. Um, I think Watchmen being one of them. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm looking forward to seeing who the nominees are going to be, and and the same goes for the Oscars because who the hell knows what's going to happen there. Well,
0: yeah, that's a whole other ball of wax. Uh, but um, yeah. So how do you think that that how do you think that unpredictability might pan out? Like, are there sh- what shows do you think might get a boost from this weird calendar that we're under?
1: Oh, it's gonna get a boost. I think Ozark does. I think Ozark's going to get a – I think Ozark's going to – I think that was a big talking point this year. The two shows I mentioned previously. Um, I'm trying to think what else could be. I'm thinking because of just like – I'm going to go with one Josh is watching. I'm thinking just because of when it came out and how much buzz it had. I think The Good Place could really – because that has just kept that – that brand name has just kept growing and growing and growing outside of just like the cult audience it had to a lot of people I think that could definitely do really well this year um I'm just trying to think what else
2: well that would have to unseat what was it the marvelous miss
1: Maisie? Yeah, marvelous so they, they, yeah yeah that was one of the ones they mentioned in the app and the in the and the, the the article and I'm like yeah but like I feel like I don't know, that's just my opinion. It's like the rose kind of came off the bloom on that show a bit. Like, it's like, I felt like that last season was like, it was advertised, but it didn't really, like, live up to, like, what those first two seasons were. Well, but... In terms of but, buzz and talk. But uh, it has the they, name recognition.
0: Yeah. But that's always been the thing yeah, problem. <laughs> yeah, if you guys, if, if people don't follow the Emmys closely, what you might not realize is that they oftentimes, and I think because of what I spoke about earlier a lot of the times they will just pick a favorite and then they will just check the box for that favorite for as long as they physically can, regardless of the quality of each individual season and regardless of what else is in the competition or, or potentially eligible. So like, you'll see things like modern family winning best, uh comedy um best comedy series for like a record-breaking six times in a row i believe like well past the time that anybody cared about modern family it was still winning best comedy series during an incredible renaissance of the half hour forum on tv where people were doing so many incredible things and getting so many accolades from other sources the emmys was just like no we like modern family we're going to check off the box and uh modern family again every year (laughs) so so i that is another thing that you have to fight against and that's that's one thing i'm interested to see like you were saying bill like will that change this year given all of the other stuff going on Um, Josh, is there any show that you watch that you would be, like, I know you said you don't really care about the Emmys, and I'm kind of halfway with you. I love award shows. I'm a huge, I used to love the Emmys, and what happened for me is that the combination of the fact that they often don't award things that are, I think, are even good, let alone deserving, and the fact that, uh, there's just so much good TV that, like, honestly, like, most of the time I make, like, a list of 20 Shows and like not even one gets nominated at the end of the year. I, it just that started to really uh, make me sour on the Emmys versus the Oscars and even the Golden Globes that have like a little bit more of a, a connection to what's at least happening in the world. But as someone who also doesn't care that much about the Emmys, what do you? Is there any show out there that you would be excited to see come Emmy nomination morning get some love?
2: I mean, not really. the the point you made about the the, the voters just kind of checking off the box based off of, you know, just gut reaction and, well, this is what I voted for before. Like, I feel like that is one of the reasons why I have such a hard time getting invested in it because it feels like it's such a a foregone conclusion once something becomes established. Um, Like, I know that um, there are plenty of shows that are deserving, but I feel like over the last 20 years, not longer, just the runs that shows go on. It just it it seems like it's difficult for me to get really uh, behind anything because I don't think anything has a legitimate shot of uh, beating an incumbent. So, I mean, I, I haven't gotten to, to season four of the Good Place, but based off of how much I've enjoyed the first two seasons, you know, I would love to see that do well. But uh, once again, I don't know if it's possible especially in this kind of environment like we talked about where the normal ways of promoting your um you know your show are available like if it's possible to dethrone um
0: you know mrs Maisel,
1: or veep because that'll still be, yeah i think that'll still be under this one right or no no
0: no veep's not eligible anymore
1: okay. oh well see. last, year. Yeah, so last I, year
0: was its last
1: year i would i, I think barry's gonna do well Barry Uh, is
0: not eligible either. Barry.
1: Oh, uh, that's right, because it came out right at the same time as Game of Thrones. That's right.
0: Yeah.
1: What about Euphoria? That would fall in, right?
0: That would fall in. Yeah, Euphoria is definitely eligible because it was. I would like to see
1: Zendaya nominated for Euphoria. I thought she was great in that show. She,
0: yeah, she was definitely one of the best things about that show. I have complicated feelings about it, but none of the none of those complicated feelings are about Zendaya because she was incredible. Um, Yeah, I, I, for me, I, so like Pose, the first season of Pose got nominated last year, and it got nominated for Best Series, which was amazing, and it got nominated for Billy Porter and Supporting Actor, which was amazing, but uh, none of the rest of the ensemble even got a shot at being nominated for anything, and that really, really hurt, because it's kind of like, we like this show, but we won't support any of the trans people of color who make the show the show, it kind of like, that kind of sucked, and MJ Rodriguez is the star of that series, and that series does not work without her. And she just does so much. And if this is a series that is on Emmy's radar, I really hope. That they give her a shot and nominate her next uh this year because she had an even more incredible season uh this past season than she did the season in season one they really put her through a lot she really got to show off her comedy chops and her emotions and her romance and she got to be sexy and and sad and interesting and she's sung and she just does everything on that show and she is the heart of the series so I really really hope that they uh, that they pay attention to her and get her in there as best lead actress.
1: It's gonna be tough because while well, well, we were just talking like I, I, I'm basically gonna undo everything I just said. <laughs> <laughs> but it but it but that's gonna be tough because that is a series that is a, a late summer series so like people yeah. like. And I, I feel like it has more legs than season one did, especially with those nominations from last year. And then Bill, and Billy Porter's profile keeps um, his profile keeps being raised with all the projects he's doing, so he's very much at the forefront. But not everyone else is, so that's going to be a tough one because yeah, it does I have think- that critical place. But it's just like if that show was was delivered in September, October, or January February I feel like well the
0: high the high profile time for TV releases is actually the spring so like the way that the Oscars works fall is this is the premium award season springtime is the premium award season for TV shows so that's when it... it really should be airing that would optimize its chances for sure.
3: Yeah, but the and first it, it,
0: season aired over the summer also, and it, and it did get those – it got those historic nominations, and that was a huge deal. And I also want to say Billy Porter is incredible on the show as well. I don't want to say anything negative yeah, about him yeah, because yeah. he deserves every accolade that he gets. It just kind of rubs me the wrong way that they – that on a show filled with incredible trans people of color who deserve the accolades because of the incredible impact they make on that show – Uh, that they pick the one person who really isn't in that group in order to award it. And that just, that just kind of, you know, I want to not, I don't, I don't want to think too ill of the voting body and say that it's targeted, but it just kind of feels, it doesn't feel like a coincidence is all I'm saying. I hear that. And I'd love to see it corrected this year. I hope so. All right. Any, any, Final thoughts on the Emmys. Are you guys gonna wake up early, uh, Emmy, more, Emmy nomination morning, to see who went, who's in and who's out?
1: No, but I'm gonna be bugging you about what we're gonna to do to cover it.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: It sounds like you're describing Christmas morning. Like I expect to look under my Christmas tree and find the Emmy nominations.
0: It's listen, that's what it's like for some people. If Dude, they, it, it's like crack of dawn on the on the West Coast when they announce it, and it's a big
1: deal. Josh, um, when Dan Cohen, our old film editor, used to wake up legit five o'clock in the morning and would watch the Oscar nominations, and would be texting me the whole time. Oh. I'm like, just write this down. <laughs> I'm like, don't text me. <laughs> I'm literally driving to work. <laughs> like, just text me. <laughs> just, just, just put this in an email, and I'll post it. Like, yeah, I mean, there are people who are super excited. I'm excited for it, especially with the uncertainty. But uh, will I wake up super early to listen to it? No, I don't like waking up early. So, uh, But, yeah, no, I'm excited for it. This is
0: okay, this is what I'm most excited about. And this will just tell you everything that you need to know about me. Is so Mrs. America seems like a dead on, like it's gonna win, it's gonna get like a million nominations and limited series run. And that is, of course, an Aww. FX on Hulu series. And I'm really excited to find out how they award that that show if they refer to it as an FX series, as a Hulu series, like which network gets the credit for that GSMC. series in awards time. I really am. I'm very curious how it'll how it'll fall.
1: Disney will get the awards.
0: I, well, Disney will get it regardless, right? Because they own yeah. all of it.
1: <laughs> but I it, uh, it, that's that that category is going to be the street fight, though, because oh, yeah. that's also where Watchmen is. And so yeah. unless they position Watchmen in a different uh, area, no, I don't no. Think they will. No, and, that's and, where and it's that, running. Yeah, it's I mean, running as an series. You're gonna tell me Regina King and Kate Blanchett going head to head? I mean.
0: Not to that's, mention that's, Little Fires Everywhere with uh, Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon also that in the that category.
1: That'll definitely get the nominations, but that does that have the profile of the other two? Is the, Those, the uh, But I, I mean, think, Reese Witherspoon yeah. has a lot of polls, so does Kerry Washington sure has pedigree.
0: Yeah, and I mean, they've both—I think they've both gotten Emmys before. I know Carrie oh, Washington
1: yeah. has. And and, and will, will the Mandalorian get a nomination? It will. No, it will not. <laughs> It'll no. get it for like effects or something.
0: They decided that, that the only genre show that could ever get an Emmy was Game of Thrones for some reason. And then they gave it all of the Emmys uh, when it didn't really deserve it. And then that's it. They're like closing the books on genre shows. <laughs> so,
3: sorry. <sighs> but that uh, show
0: is not made for awards, so it's fine. You you got what you wanted out of it. You don't need I don't, the accolades. I, I
1: mean, I did. <laughs> 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 okay,
0: um, moving on. So- uh, we're going to now talk, as I said at the beginning of the show, ahead, uh, instead of our new show spotlight, where we usually have at the end of our, our episodes, we're going to do a little bit of a, uh, a flashback all the way to September 22nd, 1999, when the West Wing debuted. As we talked about, it was written and created by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Tommy Schlamy, who really innovated the walk-in talk as a uh, narrative uh, device. Uh, in, in uh, television, and there's an incredible tracking shot to start out this, this show, uh, which is just really just like bravo, uh move that we'll get into, um, that he designed entirely. Also wanted to mention music by Snuffy Walden, uh, just because number one, his name is Snuffy Walden. Number two, the music is really an integral part of that series, and I think that it's really well on display in the episode. That might just be because I've seen it so many times. I don't know if it popped as much for you guys. We can get into that. Um, And then also, of course, it's starring Bradley Whitford, Rob Lowe, Allison Janney, Oscar winner Alison Janney, uh, Richard Schiff, John Spencer, Janelle Maloney, and as the president, Martin Sheen. Uh, And I wanted to start there uh, because I just like I wrote this down because I just love the way that he enters into this episode. Five minutes left of the episode. We're hearing about POTUS, aka President of the United States, all episode, but we don't see him. We don't hear him directly. We're just hearing about him, people talking about him. He's this kind of force in the background. And then right in the middle of a very heated exchange between some uh, far-right Christian uh, activist people who are upset with uh, one of the White House uh, staff members for saying some things he probably shouldn't have said on television about uh, Christian uh, right politicians um, and the gods that they believe in. Uh, he kind of just blows into the room. Uh, there's a debate over what the first, <laughs> what the first commandment is. Uh, the uh, r- religious person doesn't know, which I think is a little mean of Aaron Sorkin because I feel like no way that they wouldn't know. Uh, but anyway, he doesn't know, and uh, Aaron and they say, well, what is the first amendment? Uh, what is the first uh, commandment? And he and uh, Martin Sheen bursts into the room and he says, I am the Lord, your God, thou shalt worship no other God before me. Boy, those were the days. And that's how he's introduced into the series. And I just think that's like one of the best mic drop moments in a pilot of a TV show that you had. So just starting from there, like, what were your thoughts of that moment of Martin Sheen on the show on how they use him in that first episode?
1: Starting with you, Bill. Okay. Well, I wanted to sidebar real quick, but uh, because our our last, I don't know if you guys saw the news, our last month's uh, new show, Spotlight, Legendary, was renewed for a second season. Uh, yes. Just announced nice. today on H- for HBO Max. So, good for that show. If you haven't checked out Legendary, please do. Um, okay, now back on to this. Um, so, um, how do you want me to repeat the question, because I have a lot of different thoughts about this episode.
0: Well, I'm asking you specifically about Martin Sheen as the president
1: and how oh, he's introduced into mean, the
0: show and how he's kind of teased I mean, in to, until that final five-minute stretch.
1: Well, see, I didn't... See, uh, I, the Westminster show I've always heard about. I have a lot of friends uh, who uh, have seen the series from start to finish. So I wasn't sure if Martin Sheen was actually the president because I knew he was the president in the series. I wasn't sure if it started with him as the president or not. Um but I love the tease of it, and man, Martin Sheen coming in there—wow! It was just like, oh, that's what a president's supposed to act like. Was my first thought. <laughs> it really was, and I just loved how he comes in, and at one, and in—it's just so brilliant because, like, in one breath, he's this genial grandpa at times, and then he cuts like the knife, like a Brian Adams record. He just like. <laughs> Hits it home and just like torches the um, the, the the very radical uh, evangelicals and then launches into the whole speech about his granddaughter and it, at, at times it's it's just like he's this fatherly grandfatherly uncle figure who's like you just like you want to love and you want him to you know give you a noogie and an arm around the shoulder but at the same time he is dropping serious serious dialogue here. It's this, it's great. It's just great. And I'm, pro- I'm not even describing how I properly feel about it. it would, I was just floored by how awesome it was. Maybe because we haven't seen someone as a president <laughs> act presidential in years, um, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. But yeah, Martin Sheen was amazing. That whole scene is amazing. The whole mic drop's amazing. The, the, the facials of everyone in the room reacting to him. Ah, chef's kiss. Great. Josh, what do you think?
2: I that was probably one of the best character introductions I've seen in recent memory. Uh, just Martin Sheen has a, just the a, a glow about him as he enters. and I mean, he's a he's a phenomenal actor, but that entrance is just it's it floors you. And just like Bill said, like the way he his tone shifts throughout the conversation and as he is, you know, at first this very, friendly and uh warm figure and then all of a sudden like it like brings the wrath of god like it, it's it's <laughs> it's such a fitting um entrance for the way they present his character and it's it was i feel like for the the, the earlier parts of the show i was uh I, I was having a little trouble getting into it just because uh I, not not to hurt your feelings alex i'm not as much of a a, a sorkin fan as you are Um, (laughs)
0: That's
2: okay. (laughs) I I can find some of his. I can find his writing to be um, incredibly uh, meticulously written uh, Uh and also arrogant to a (laughs) T. And so that's kind of off putting. But that that scene um, was kind of just pick my jaw from the the floor. So I, I that was the highlight for me, for sure.
1: Uh, if, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Alex I'm going to assume that you probably have uh, The American President with yes. Michael Douglas like man it was like you could see where the groundwork for the Bartlett character was laid in the Michael Douglas character because like there, there was a, like I got like a similar vibe in the way like kind of the dialogue was I'm like wow that is, there's, two, there's a lot of similarities between this because I like, could have seen the Michael Douglas character from that movie making the same exact entrance the same exact saying the same exact dialogue obviously same writer but um yeah so i, I really enjoyed that part because american president is a pretty good movie
0: yeah it's a it's a weird idea for a movie it's like what if we really did a weird. rom-com about the president of the united states it's like okay sure but it, it's fun i like it a lot it's like very well cast martin scene is in that as the chief of staff to the president actually Um, And, of course, Aaron Sorkin wrote that as well.
1: And if you watch a lot of
0: Aaron Sorkin, uh, Aaron Sorkin does uh, steal from himself quite liberally. There's a whole series of Sorkinism videos on YouTube that you can check out of just, like, watching his characters throughout time repeat themselves over and over again. It's very fun. Um, But that's part of the joy of of listening to him and and listen to his dialogue, as far as I'm concerned. And I just don't think anybody writes a a monologue better than than that man does. And uh, Martin Sheen just makes a meal out of it and the best part about it is that it's like this like that the first scene that he's introduced it's this huge triumphant moment all of our guy all of the people we've been following they're like yeah team Bartlett let's go and then he and then they're like in such a great mood they immediately walk into the Oval Office and he just lays the hammer down on them too in a totally different but equally satisfying way um and I think that's just like the one-two punch of like this is a person who Demands respect and who is interesting and engaging in so many different ways, and and he is a force to be reckoned with and and uh, deserving of of the title of president of the United States in that way. So yeah, I, I love that's one of my favorite character introductions of all time. So I just I wanted to start out with that, but we got to rewind because there was a whole hour of TV before that. <laughs> um, and Josh, you said that it didn't work so well for you. So can you tell me more about that?
2: It's I have such conflicted feelings with um, Aaron Sorkin and his work because I, I love a good piece of dialogue. I love um, a good monologue. And it, it really just comes down to just how I feel him coming through with it. It's like, it's smart and it knows it's smart. And this is the same issue I had with, um, with devs when we watched that a few months ago. Like, Hmm. like incredibly well written, like meticulously worked on and you can tell how much um, thought and energy went into it and that it is just the smartest thing in the room. But it knows it. And that is so irritating for me. (laughs) And so, like, I, I love how much research was done into it or went into it and how, um, like, the, I, I'm not very familiar with the the walk and talk format, and so to see how that worked um, was really impressive. And so there, there were so many things that I found myself liking about it, but then just, like, in the back of my mind, it's like, yeah, that smug jerk knows it's good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, God, but gosh, I think gosh. I think that he's. That, I mean, that's definitely an aspect of his work. But I think that he also <laughs> had, can deflate his characters in pretty excellent ways as well. Like what happens with uh, Rob Lowe's character Sam Seaborn in this in this episode, uh, especially around um, the tour that he has to give. Uh, he is incredibly arrogant, and he gets his comeuppance in a pretty wonderful way, in my opinion. Uh, Bill, how did that my, scene work that's for you? My li-
1: that that where he gets his come up and it's like my least interesting party episode for me.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: you know why? Because it's just like I was so captivated by the walk and talk stuff and just the rapid fire and just like all the inner workings of the politics that's happening and and like all these things are happening. I'm like, man, I am just, I am locked in. And then we get this silly little story and I'm like, I do not give a shit. I want to get back to like, I'm like, Josh, like, uh, is it Josh Yeah, I'm like, Josh might get fired. I care about that. He's going to make an ass of himself. Of course the teacher's going to be the guy's daughter. Duh, it's the guy, for, it's, it's John Spencer. He's not young. You think he's going to have a seven-year-old? Come on, Roblo. I was well, more interested I was more interested <laughs> And especially, in
0: the, especially because it's also established that he's met Mrs. McGarry as well. So he knows exactly how old both of them are. Yeah, Seems like, like you'd be able to guess that they don't have a 7 year old daughter. Yeah, and, and
1: it's like I enjoyed the stuff he had with uh, – I don't know her character's name, but Linda Edelstein, who would eventually be, go on to be a house. And she was on one of Bravo's first scripted series, Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, which I had the unfortunate pleasure of watching two seasons of. Um <laughs> hey she's great and it's just a series it just insisted upon itself um and i was interested in that because i'm like okay because that can play into like the politics of everything it's just like what we talked about off air about studio 60 got it in um the air comedy don't always work and it was just like it was like this very like i'm just like this is very forced and very awkward and i just want to get to like the heart of this i wanted to get to that scene where um, Josh had to face the far-right people. Like That's what I wanted to see. I didn't care about this little diversion. Um, so, yeah, that scene didn't work for me, but, man, the walk-and-talk stuff, I'm just, like, I'm almost, like, chewing the popcorn. I'm like, yes. yes, like, this is great. And, like, a show like this, like, if you put this show on, I'm probably jumping the gun. Like, today, obviously, everything would look a lot crisper. People would be in love with it. It's like a show that when, because you have these great actors delivering a really great dialogue, talking about politics, I think it would be fantastic. It didn't, yeah. it, it ages really, really well.
0: It's, it, so that was a question I was going to ask later, but we can get to that right now. No, we could go to there now. Like, do you feel like this is a show that's 20 years old?
1: I mean, when, Mortimer Kelly Kelly's talking on a huge ass flip phone, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. pagers, yes. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, pagers. Yeah, but, like That's honestly, whole, outside yeah, of page, I, I mean, like you watch The Wire, and you're gonna see beepers and payphones and shit like that too. But it's like, um, this is not a Wire podcast, I know. Um, but it's I feel like no, I feel like this is so on point. It's just like yeah, update a couple things here and there, and like this, the, you aired the show today, and it resonates. And the fact we're watch, I'm watching them talking. You know, about stuff that's like I know is from the late 90s and it feels like super relevant and super important. I should care about this stuff that speaks volumes to just really, really good dialogue. And the fact that Martin Sheen comes in the way he does. And we know there is a president not like him in the office right now, but he comes in and it's just like, wow, it still hits you. And like that, that's a mark of a great show. And yeah, you could watch this today. Definitely holds up. Outside of some film grain and some anachronisms that we see now, I mean, technologically speaking, yeah, man, doesn't feel dated at all.
0: That's cool. I, I'm glad that you feel that way. It's like impossible for me to even look at it through that lens, just because I've seen the, these episodes so many times. Right. Like I originally, yeah. I started watching it when it for when it was actually airing. Currently, I watched like the last two seasons when I was in middle school, um, and into high school. And then I kind of doubled back because it used to be on Bravo and reruns yes, all the time. Was. And I would just and I would just watch like any episode that I could when it was on and I was home back when that was the way television worked. <laughs> <laughs> um, And yeah, and I so I watched like almost every episode that way. And then when I was in college, I got the DVDs and I and I bought and I watched the whole box set over like Christmas break that year just, like, locked myself in my room and just, like, started talking like an Aaron Sorkin character by the end of it. <laughs> oh, sure. But, like, my mom would be like, like, oh, uh, do you want some pizza? And I'd be like, well, I went to seven years of Harvard Law School. Of course I want pizza. You know, just like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and, uh, and yeah, no, and then I actually, I listened to the West Wing Weekly, which was a really cool podcast that aired for a number of years that kind of watched every episode of the series. So I've seen every episode of this series at least three times all the way through, and there are men any other episodes of it that I've watched more than that so it's it's hard for me to look at as anything but itself so I'm really curious like did you guys are you familiar with the term POTUS did you
1: get that yeah Uh, I mean I worked in politics so yeah
0: (laughs) okay yeah because apparently when that episode aired that was a term that was really only used by like insider people and it was kind of a thing.
1: And, yeah, because they, they started using that later. Like, you heard that, like, in the 2000s in movies and shows. Like, you didn't hear that much on TV. or in Like, pop culture-wise, it was always the president. Like, you never yeah. heard that in a movie. Like, Air Force One, you know, he wasn't POTUS. He was the president of the United States of America. And he told Gary Ullman to get off his plane. Yeah. Um, you know? God, I can't believe I did an Air Force One. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, this is our patriotic-themed episode, so, you know, shout out with all of your favorite presidents. We talked about Hamilton, who was not a president, sadly, uh, or maybe not so sadly, depending on your opinion on the actual Hamilton person. Uh, (laughs) But, and then, uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, about President Bartlett, President Harrison Ford. Who else? Josh, who's your favorite fictional president? Oh, gosh. Oh, I know who you're
2: picking. I don't know who I'm picking. Who am I going to pick?
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say Bill Pullman, Independence Day.
2: Oh, that'd be a good pick. Ah, uh, I might go for oh, what's his name? Ah, uh, the president from 24.
0: There were like four, weren't there?
2: Yeah, but the, the, the original. Oh, the, most Haysbert? of them suck. Yeah, Dennis Haysbert's character. President Palmer, right? Yeah, 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 Palmer.
0: There yeah. we
2: go. He's up there. I don't know who it's my favorite about is. Twenty
0: years old TV.
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's the first one that comes to mind.
0: Yeah, I think for me, it would probably be uh, Selena Myers from Veep, because she's the most honest depiction of what a real president is like. (laughs) Oh, that show. My God. Uh, But anyway, um, yeah, so I mean, we could, I mean, I could talk about this episode for hours, but we really don't need to. Um, Did you, like, what character popped the most outside of Martin Sheen's President Bartlett for you, Josh?
2: Uh, maybe Sam Seaborn, but I think that's just because I like Rob Lowe, and I just finished yeah. watching, uh, Parks and Rec, <laughs> and so I was like, yeah. hey, Chris Traeger, um, <laughs> so it, he stuck out for me, um, yeah, probably, probably Sam Seaborn, um, it's so and funny I, that I was very, Rob Lowe at
1: was, at his, that point of his career, Rob Lowe was, like, totally on, like, former star Rob Lowe, now on a TV series, you know?
0: No, that's not true. Actually, it was like a real big deal that they got Rob Lowe to be on the show. And it was like and he was supposed to get the Bradley Whitford role because that was the lead role. And the studio was insisting on him have that role because that was the lead. And Sorkin wrote the role for Whitford, really, and he kind of and he was friends with him from theater, and so he really kind of pushed for Whitford to get it. And it was kind of like almost up until the pilot, they weren't sure which role each of them were going to have, and then they finally settled it on.
1: I thought Rob Lowe was more of back, you know, wasn't leading man status anymore. He was just kind of like well, but this is a different this is also
0: a different era of TV where like Meryl Streep wasn't popping on, on like your uh, season of TV, you know? So, so this was a network TV show back then. And, for for them, Roblo even you know maybe five years past his prime was still a real big deal to be coming onto TV and leading a TV show. So it, it was kind of a big deal. He really had he kind of was the bigger man and 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 volunteered to give up that lead spot because he knew that that was what was best for the show and that was a big deal in the moment.
1: No, well, there you go. Learn something every day.
0: Huh. Yeah. And out of out of all of those characters, since you haven't watched any of them, I'm going to tell you that one gets basically fired from the show very unceremoniously and no one ever talks about them again which of the characters do you think that happens to Ooh.
1: um well i'm like looking at the main character list on wikipedia so i might be cheating, ah,
0: that's cheating.
2: <laughs> so
1: josh you have
0: yeah you take a guess
2: oh man i need to look at the who was actually in the episode again um <laughs> Let's see. Um, I'm going to guess it would be. Is it Josh's assistant?
0: No, she actually had basically like a glorified like extra part and it kind of blew up into a full blooded character that actually became really important throughout the show. Just because she had such great chemistry with Bradley Whitford. So she had like the opposite opposite arc.
1: I mean, I'm not actually – I'm just looking at the characters. I'm not looking at anything. I'm going to say either Toby or Sam.
0: Well, so Sam does leave the show at a certain point. Because I knew because, Rob Lowe did
1: leave the show at one
0: point. Yes, because what happened basically there was that his contract was up, and uh, yes. he kind of felt like he was no longer – uh, important enough on the show <laughs> basically undoing all of the goodwill that he had done uh in the initial stage and uh so he walked in a kind of contentious uh contract negotiation but he was not forgotten they kind of they graciously walked wrote him out of the show he got to run for congress it was like a whole thing the character who was unceremoniously uh taken from the show was uh mandy who was portrayed by maura kelly uh she oh, was yeah. she's Josh's kind of potential love interest in that first uh, in that first episode that you watch, she in the next episode gets like on uh, like signs on to be a political consultant for the White House, and then is supposed to be this kind of like polit like the hard edged kind of political consultant person to like bounce off of the more idealistic characters that populate the show. And the character just like didn't work because that balance was not well incorporated and she didn't really have the chemistry that she was supposed to have with Bradley Whitford and so they ended up just one point she just stopped appearing in episodes and then literally no one ever talked about her again. (laughs) Despite in this episode, you're specifically hearing characters say like, "Oh yeah, she like was really important in him getting reelected." Later seasons will show like flashbacks to that initial election campaign. No mention of that character at all. Not even like referenced off screen. Like she fully stops existing like halfway through the first season <laughs> and is never <laughs> seen again. So it's pretty pretty rough. I mean, she's she ended up okay. She got on uh, she got on Dawson's Creek and played uh michelle williams aunt or whatever so she was fine but uh or was that one tree hill maybe she was on i forget yeah i think it was one tree hill she was on but she she had a career after that but it was pretty pretty much yeah, and a character that i think you guys both would have really liked uh is played by doula hill um who who uh, appears for the first time in episode two kind of as um the president's body man. Um he's kind of like this young kid, Charlie, who has a really really nice backstory. Like he's his mom's police officer gets killed in the line of duty. He's taking care of his his uh little sister and uh he kind of uh comes to the White House for a job and and they realize that he's, like, such a good person that they put him right up to the top, uh, giving him a much better job than he asked for, where he gets to work with the president every day. And eventually he becomes his surrogate son and uh, gets married to his daughter, played by Elizabeth Moss, uh, who went on to become oh, yeah. super famous.
1: Yeah, yeah so. And uh, Dulé Hill grew up in uh, next town over from me.
0: Uh, Saraville, oh, yeah. no New I... Jersey.
1: Saraville, oh. New Jersey.
0: Cool. Yeah, he kind of, people might know him from, from Psych. He was, he's kind of like the sidekick on Psych for a million seasons. But uh, yeah, so that's the West Wing. You guys have any final thoughts? Uh, Josh, not super impressed, hates Aaron Sorkin. Uh, we're not friends anymore. Bill, what did you think?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's very obvious that uh, the Bradley Whitford character, I mean, at least to me, is like this like Sorkin stand-in like oh, yeah. he's definitely, he's definitely like this is me guys me <laughs> but um but yeah i i okay man for a show i've heard like you know we talked about hamilton before it's like hype 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 and i've heard this from every person from various walks of life about uh, in my life about the west Wing. and i'm very surprised i was excited to watch the episode i was very surprised it lived up to all the hype nice i'm and
0: glad pleased, that it worked I for you say.
1: yeah
0: you know it's one of those things it's like anything else, it has its flaws. Its politics are a bit backwards, especially with the modern eyes, in certain ways. But if just from a pure, like, like uh, playwright sensibility of it, it's just like a tremendously talented ensemble of, uh, unfortunately, very white cast, but a tremendously uh, talented cast nonetheless, uh, performing incredibly like tightrope walking dialogue that they just and monologues that they just like knock out of the park every time and that's just endlessly uh satisfying for me and and uh, i'm glad that you guys took a walk down memory lane with me of course it's a fun way to a fun way to celebrate the fourth of july to watch some west wing <laughs> but um okay so we're gonna we're gonna close it out there uh josh where can we find your work on pop break
2: well, you can always find my work on the site, so I have another couch potato column coming out this month, so uh, please check that out if you are so interested. Otherwise, you can uh, occasionally find my work on Twitter when I remember to tweet it, um, at Josh Starnecki. Um One of the latest things I may have remembered to post, I can't even remember, um, was a podcast uh, with my brother Aaron on the... Anniversary of the mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. Uh, so I highly recommend you check it out. It was, uh, it was a, another goofy trip down memory lane. Well, West Wing wasn't goofy, but Power Rangers definitely was. So um, <laughs> and I'm just going to keep insulting Alex's favorite show. Um, that's, no. no,
0: that's fine. I mean, when I was nine, Power Rangers was my favorite show. So and Dude, I was I nine in 1999. So, you know, we're kind of <laughs> in, in a moment in time, they were kind of like neck and neck in terms of my favorite things. So <laughs> it was I listened to that podcast last weekend and that was that was definitely a fun walk down memory lane. I have fully not thought of that um, since I saw it in theaters when I was five years old. (laughs) So... (laughs) And my biggest, my biggest memory was that was the first time that I had a Twizzler because I went with my uncle and he bought us Twizzlers. And because when we, when I went with my mom to go to the movies, we would never buy snacks. We would bring snacks with us. So we had to have Twizzlers for the first time and it was cherry Twizzlers and it was like a pull and peel Twizzler. And then for like a decade after that, I could not find pull and peel Twizzlers anywhere. And it was like my white whale of candy. So that's the thing that I remember most about the Power Rangers movie. So it was fun (laughs) to listen back to it, to be like, oh yeah, that happened. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, sorry, Bill. Both. Were you like, no. <laughs> were you like, uh, like graduating college when we were children
1: watching the Power Rangers movies? <laughs> um, I don't remember what year the Power Rangers movie came out. No, I just was, I just like was, uh, Fido you know, just loved the whole Twister conversation. <laughs> <laughs> what year the uh, Power Rangers? So Rangers we're,
0: we're I think '95, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: No, I was, I was. I was going into eighth grade, so I wasn't that bad. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm still a a teen. (laughs) Well, that's
0: that's where we could have found you in 1995. Where can we find you in 2020?
1: Well, I will be a guest on Aaron and Josh's uh, Anniversary Brothers podcast coming out soon. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite movies of all time, Inception, Um, um, since that anniversary is coming out, I think, on the 17th of july so i don't know when this podcast was dropping because i just don't remember time at this point but yeah (laughs) i'm there um i'm also the host of the socially distanced podcast uh which i do with the reluctant managing editor of the site al manorino uh that drops on anchors uh anchors jeez i'm like my dad anchor spotify uh apple podcasts and a bunch of other random places uh that drops every single friday um Course, I'm the editor in chief of the So check out thepopbreak.com every single day. We got great television content from Alex, from Josh, tons of writers. I mean, it's basically what's what we're writing about most of the time because TV, there's no really no movies coming out in the theaters or a lot of music coming out. So hey man, we're talking about A lot of TV. Uh, We are on Twitter at popbreak.com, all spelled out. A big shout-out to our social media manager, Alicia Weinberger, who has put out a lot of great charities uh, for Black Lives Matter, for a lot of uh, trans-related issues, um, and and charities that you can donate to during this time um, while... Stuff might be calming down the news cycle. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done in society. So, you know, please keep on top of that. And you can find all those resources at popbreak.com, all spelled out on Twitter, forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled out on Facebook, at the popbreak on Instagram. And, um, yeah, that that's me. I'm at rates on Twitter where it's mostly just wrestling. So, that's me.
0: Great. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Media Thinkings and on Letterboxd at MediaThinkings. You can check out my podcast about movies called Cinema Joes, uh, which is available all places you get podcasts. Uh, some updates if you're listening to us through the new Pop Break TV feed that's very exciting. Uh, you, there, we have a couple of other shows in that feed right now, including the TV edition of The Anniversary Brothers with Josh and his brother Aaron. Um, we also have uh, Goodbye to All That, which recently put out an episode about Insecure. Uh, later in the month, we're not entirely sure which show we're going to be talking about for the second half. We have a couple ideas, but am not sure yet. But in August, we're going to be talking about uh, Perry Mason with bill and we're going to be talking about the final season of agents of shield finally ending after all these years uh with josh's brother aaron so look for all of that in the feed also a new show to our site um and to the pop break tv feed is uh is a show by our new contributor lovey mcpherson called live laugh and lovey where she talks with her friends about some of the best tv shows scripted and unscripted that she's that they're watching um it's really fun uh relaxed hangout vibe to that show so i want you guys to go back to listen to some back episodes check it out that'll be coming out weekly in the feed so so look for that um in the in the weeks ahead as well uh thanks everybody for coming on uh thanks for helping me kind of uh, break through with this Pop Break TV uh, podcast stuff. It's been a lot of hard work the last couple weeks, but I'm really excited about it. Um, I hope you guys like what we're putting out. Uh, For everybody at thepotbreak.com, I'm Alex, and I'll see you next month.